10, 5, he's into the end zone, touchdown Arkansas State. Deflected into the hands of Feltz, Avery for three, hits, cover is safe, the Red Wolves have walked it off. Welcome to the Second to None Podcast, the A-State Podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Now, here's a couple of guys who know the Red Wolves like no one else. Matt Stoltz and Brad Bobo. Coming up, we'll recap the week in A-State baseball. Weather really messing around with the schedule a Mm -hmm. lot the last few days. Also, spring football is in full swing. Some moves on the coaching staff as well to tell you about. That's all coming up. But right now, I want to begin things by welcoming to the studio the head coach of the A-State track and field teams, the now 18-time Sunbelt Coach of the Year, Dr. Jim Patchell. How you doing, Coach? I'm doing good. 18 times. Does it get old? It doesn't get old. But you have to understand, you know, I don't do that by myself. I got a, I got a great staff that, that, that uh, works with me, and, you know, it's a team effort. And, you know, I tell our team – I tell recruits that – we pursue this as a team. Mm-hmm. Track and field can sometimes be an individual sport. If you're in it for, for yourself, you might want to go somewhere else. We pursue it as a team. But we do have individual accomplishments, and we celebrate those. And, you know, it's it's nice to be recognized. I'm, I'll admit that. But that's not why I do this for, for awards and recognition. And I also understand that, obviously, there's a lot of hard work from a lot of people behind the scenes. And, you know, the head coach gets the credit when you win and they get the blame when you lose mm-hmm. and maybe neither one is deserved as much as it should be. So I understand where, where, where that sits in, in the perspective of things that matter. You're to a point now where if you show up to a conference meet and don't win, it's a surprise. That's where we're at. Yeah. That's, now, that's... So here's what I'll say, or here's what I want to ask. Do you still enjoy winning as much as you should or does it just feel more like a relief to win? Oh, no. Winning never gets old. Okay. Yeah. Well, good. I mean, because sometimes I think you can get in that spot where it's just like, I think there are times where people get in that sort of situation, they piled up, piled up, and all of a sudden they forget, they stop enjoying it, and it's just like, okay, we won, and it's just right on to the well, next Well, if, if, if I ever get to that point, it's time to do something else. But, you know, I'm a competitive person. I, I like winning at chess or checkers or wh- whatever you want to play. I'm going to try to beat you. Uh, so uh, that's just uh, part of my nature, and I understand that you know championships are great, and I, I, we all enjoy them. The, the kids enjoy them, our staff enjoys it, but it's the pursuit, the daily pursuit of what it takes to get there to win that championship. That's the most fun to me. Is that what drives you when you wake up? I mean, you being a competitor. I mean, just the opportunity to compete. Well, that's part, definitely part of it. If you if you're if you're not a competitive person, you don't have any business being in college athletics for, yeah. for sure as a coach or an athlete. Um, now, you have to put that in perspective. You have to compete well, honor your opponents, and, and uh, do things the right way. But I do enjoy – I think it was Cervantes wrote, the, the journey is better than the end, and it, it definitely is. I like the journey better than the end. Now, I like staying at a nice place too, and, uh, you know <laughs> – championships are you know that's like staying in a nice place but uh 99 of our time is spent preparing these kids to get to that point it's tremendous satisfaction to see that all pay off knowing that the things that that you and your staff put in place the way you train 
the way you've set up the organization, the you know the the values that that we try to instill, all that comes together in a championship. So you know it doesn't happen by accident. So there's a lot lot that goes into it, but we definitely enjoy it. But I just love the day to day. So you know we would turn this into like a twice or three times annually deal kind of uh, when I was doing the radio show rehashing conference championships and you've taught me a lot about how a person how a program goes about winning one of those but in all these conversations we, we never I mean I don't know if I've ever really talked to you much about young Jimmy Patchell the track athlete yeah take it back to there and kind of you know what your events were and how you got to Arkansas State in the first place well you know when I was in Seventh grade, I first started track, but all th- all through junior high and high school, and you know, football was my sport. You know, I actually got recruited a little bit for football. I was the same height I am now, but I weighed 165 pounds, so that there was just no way that I could. You <laughs> now, know. where was this? Where'd you go to high school? Heber Springs, Arkansas, and uh, had a great track coach, Coach uh, Harold Wilson, who loved track and. Uh, you know, it was probably by the time I got to high school, I realized, hey, I don't have to have anybody block for me. If I go out and win, I can win. You know, I just kind of got got hooked on that. And I was always, you know, the fastest kid on the team. And I was a hurdler in seventh grade. You know, they just put hurdles. Say, All right, everybody run over the hurdles. And, and I happened to be able to do it. Really got into it, studied that on my own. And Got pretty good. If if I look back now, if I could, if I'd known what I know now, I think I'd been a little better. But you know, that's that's just the way it goes. <laughs> I was recruited and and went to Harding University my first year, but transferred in its semester. Better track program. And Coach Cottrell had recruited me, mm-hmm. uh, and I, and had a, some guys, the Mooneyham brothers, that I had known since kindergarten, that were from Heber Springs too, and they were up here, and and uh, they convinced me to come up, and so I transferred in and. You know, had a great experience. Back during that time, late 80s, early 90s, you, you had athletes from all over the world that came to Jonesboro to train. You know, because of Earl and, right. of course, Al Joyner was still here. I think he he was still here first or second year. Like, we had Randy Barnes, who was the world record holder in the shot. And you go out to practice and you see those guys. It was just such a great environment. Mm. And it, you know, made you want to be the best. You know, I remember... Dave Rodley telling me a story about, you know, and Coach Cottrell was a great motivator, great coach. Is, uh, you know, he went in and said, Coach, I'm really working hard. I think, I think I, my goal is I want to be the conference champion in the, in the discus. And uh, Cottrell looked at him and said, Dave, I'm disappointed in that. And, you know, Dave, he, he said, Well, I didn't know what to think. He said, Well, what do you mean, Coach? He said, You should want to be the Olympic champion, not the conference champion. So, you know, th- that was the type of, environment that was here in that time I got about as much out of my athletic ability as I could I was a hard worker but I I didn't have the natural ability to to go beyond college but uh, you know I was a good conference guy I think if we would have had the regional set up the way we have now I might have had a you know I'd probably gone to the regional championship maybe had a shot to get out of that but back then if you weren't in the top 16 in the nation you didn't go that's similar the way it is indoor now enjoyed every minute of it when did you decide you wanted to coach? Well, that was actually kind of an accident. I never intended to be a coach. Uh, I was going to be a sports – well, I am a sports scientist. So I went to the University of Arkansas, Got my was working on my Ph.D., finished, finished that, everything but the dissertation, and was teaching in the exercise science 
department, and I went to uh, have lunch in the student union, and Dick Booth, the assistant coach for the track team, was there, and he knew who I was. We we had competed against them in some bigger meets, and I don't remember if they recruited me much. I think they did a little bit, but uh, anyway, we started talking, and, and he had a group of pole vaulters and decathletes. He, he was a horizontal jumps and high jump guy, and that's all he wanted to do. He just didn't want to mess with them. And so he said, hey, you went to Arkansas State. Don't you you should know something about, about those events? I said, well, Coach, I was a hurdler. He goes, well, could you come out and help us? I said, well, yeah, I get done teaching about three. I'll come out three days a week and help you. Did that for a year, and, and those we started getting good. And I started thinking, well, my, hey, maybe there's something to this. And that kind of is what got me back into the sport. So I'm fascinated because of it. it's Dr. Jim Patchell, and you said, and you said I am a sports scientist. Right. So had this coaching thing not happened, what did you think you were parlaying that into? Well, yeah, I mean, I I, I was I was a professor before I was a coach. That's what I was going to do: do research and you know specifically in human performance track. You know, track and field was my favorite, and I was just really interested in that. Had been since I was about 14. Hmm. Um, was enjoying that pathway and and but you just never know what, what turns life's going to give you you know 28 years later still doing it obviously you had the interest already as far as the yeah, human yeah. performance side so i imagine that's a pretty good marriage as a coach still being able to study all the advances in human performance and and how you can get the most out of your team oh absolutely i mean and it's helped me as a coach and and you know as a matter of fact i've i taught at every university I coached at, except for Arkansas State, when I got this job, I thought, well, okay, I'll just have I'll pitch the, the teaching. This now I, I'm, I've still been on some c- committees. We have a couple of graduate students on on the team, and they always ask me to be on their master's thesis committee. And you know, I'm still IRB certified and all that through the. So I still kind of dabble in that side of it, but I, I don't teach anymore. But, so my question, I'm listening to that, is if this doesn't happen, and you're Dr. Patchell, the professor, like what scratches that competitive interest? No, how do you win that? Well, uh, that's probably what got me back back into the sport is I was in my mid-20s and I thought that, you know, I was done with that and I, I was moving on. And, you know, I, I can't say that I didn't ever want a coach. I, I had that in the back of my mind, but that wasn't my main goal. If it happened, it happened. I, I wasn't actually pursuing it, but – you know, when I started working with those kids at Arkansas and, you know, that competitive itch, <laughs> you know, that <laughs> there was nowhere to go from there. It got me back in and that was it. So, yeah, of course, you know, if I hadn't have done that, I, I would have really enjoyed teaching and doing research and, you know, did enjoy it, you know, still do to some extent. I don't, you know, like I said, I don't teach anymore, but I still read journal articles and, and keep up with some of the latest things, you know, as well as I can, you know, the more you learn about sports science, the more you learn that the way people trained years ago, they probably had it mostly right. Uh, there was a period of time, you know, in the eighties and nineties where, where people started getting cute with their training program, you know, the, the, this fad and this fad and, and training systems are better now than they were. But back then you had the old Soviet block periodization thing where you you work on strength for eight weeks, and then you transition into something else, and then you transition into speed, and then, you know, of course, we know now that doesn't work, and we don't do that anymore. But, you know, things like that, if if I hadn't had that background, I probably, you know, might not have 
kept up with it as well. Interesting stuff. And obviously, you've come back here to Arkansas State now, have been able to accomplish everything you have. And look, we can read the accomplishments. 24 titles on your watch now, fresh off another sweep of the Sun Belt indoors in Birmingham a few weeks ago. And it's the fourth consecutive year that your team has swept the Sunbelt Conference indoors, uh, I think first time since Middle Tennessee did it back in the early 2000s. Yeah, I think so. 11th Sunbelt indoor title for the men overall, the 8th Sunbelt indoor title for the women. We read all those accomplishments, but is there something in there that, that you're most proud of? Just being able to work with quality student athletes and you know the assistant coaches that I have, Probably what I'm most proud of is the path that we took when I first got the job and to build it into this. We're, we're definitely proud of that. But you have to remember, it's harder to sustain that than it is to build it sometimes. And mm-hmm. so, you know, we're not backing off. But, uh, you know, if is there any one event that I'm most proud of that happened, like one championship? No, no, they're, they've been won in different ways, but uh, and they've all been a little different. So I, it's hard to pick out one. But, uh, you know, just the fact that we started in 2011, fall of 2011 from, I'm telling you, it was not good. And the way we've been able to, and it, and it takes a while. You, 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 you have to give a new coach a while. You know, there's a certain point where you have to make a decision if it's not getting done. But you've got to give them a reasonable amount of time to establish and improve. And, you know, because that, that, that doesn't happen overnight, especially if no. you're taking a program that was I mean we had 50 kids out there we had kids that on scholarship that didn't need to be there were some coaches there that didn't need to be there so you know those were hard decisions that had to be made at the beginning but the fact that you know I've I've got two guys that have been with me from the start Matt Kraft and Matt Vining we've all grown we've all gotten better and to be able to do that together and and see what where we were then and where we are now that's what is most satisfying to me, probably not any individual thing. Okay, so you did spend a year at Hardy, and then you did graduate, postgraduate stuff at Arkansas, and was part of that machine. But really, we're gonna be, you're an Arkansas State guy. Guy, it was part of you know that Guy Cottrell track. Yeah, and, program. Then, and Jay Flanagan, my last two years. Yeah, yeah. and it was another good one. And so, what's it mean to do what you're doing at Arkansas State? Not just to be doing it, but to be doing it here. The first two or three years that, that I was here at Arkansas State, sometimes I'd have to stop and think, wow, I'm the head coach at Arkansas State, where I, my alma mater, where I ran. You know, I, I'd always wanted to do that. I, I never really thought it would happen. And, uh, you know, it did. I just feel fortunate and blessed. You know, not everybody gets to do that. Not everybody gets to do a job they love. So it's, it's not like work. There's some things about it I don't like. But I wake up and every day and think, hey, we get to have track practice today. You know, it doesn't get any better than that. And to be able to do it at your alma mater. Absolutely. Yeah. makes it that much more sweet. Yeah. You know, it's a very small club, head coaches of Division One teams. There's only about 330 teams, I think, in Division One that sponsor track and field. And so there's only 329 other people in the world that have my job. And out of those that get to go back – their alma mater and and build something and restore the program to where it was and maybe even let's try to take it a little farther that's probably a very small number of people you said earlier that it never gets old winning 
championships as a competitor. Obviously, you're driven to compete and compete at the highest level. I asked one of your freshmen when he was here a few weeks ago, Miles Thomas, and asked him just how you celebrate an indoor championship like you did uh, a few weeks ago. He said, you know, one of the best parts was getting on the bus afterwards. And, you know, the the sprinters don't necessarily work out at the same time as the field athletes uh, a lot of the time. He was getting to know a lot of his teammates on that bus ride back. He said that was maybe the best part, you know, doing charades on the bus after a conference championship win and that camaraderie that they were able to share afterwards. You know, I said earlier, you know, track and field can be an individual sport, uh, and it certainly can, but we try to pursue it as a team. You know, we have shot putters, we have distance runners, we got guys that run the 10K, we got guys that run the 100 meters, and they're not going to train together. That's a totally different set of skills that you need for e- each of those. Now, we're out there at the same time, but, you know, when you're off, when you're doing different things during practice, and, you know, we have team meetings, we have team meals, and, you know, track and field is, is unique in that way that we only compete for a championship one specific time. Well, you know, you have cross country and then you have indoor and outdoor. So, you know, but at those specific championship times, you know, you're not winning a track meet when you go to a track meet. You're working through that. You're working on yourself. You're supporting your teammates. But, uh, you know, we try to make sure that, that everybody gets to know everybody as best we can. Now that's something you can't you can't force, you know that just kind of has to happen. And, and we 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 have a leadership council that that does a good job at that. And you know I, I agree with Miles. There, there's nothing like that. Everybody being together, knowing that you accomplished what you set out to do in August. We, we've got all these different performances at at the indoor we can talk about, but I'm gonna skip to the one. The the question we always covered in our other conversations about these is one of the things that kind of learned through osmosis from you along the way because these guys you'll show up at a conference meet and right it's the clock and the clock is the same for everybody so you guys have this great idea of where all your athletes stack up and you go into an event with a a roadmap saying i think we're getting x number of points in these events and a lot of times the difference between winning one or not winning one is where you get points you weren't planning on getting them so i always ask coming off a conference championship where did you get some points that maybe you weren't planning on getting? Well, in this particular conference championship, we did exactly what we thought we would do. So there, there was no – everybody – we actually, you know, probably went a little bit better. Some of the kids on, on the bottom end, you, you know, you got to have conference champions, but, but uh, you also have to have depth. Mm-hmm. You, you know, first place gets 10 points, then you go all the way down the scale to eighth place gets one point. And sometimes that one point can make a difference. You know, this particular conference championship, it didn't, but sometimes it does. And I always have that meeting a week before. I'm not a big believer in motivational speeches. That's great. It might last for about 10 minutes. (laughs) Um, But you you have to know what your job is and be prepared to do that job. And you need to be mentally prepared. So, so we have our our team meeting a week before the championship. It's it's not a talk at the hotel the night before. Okay, guys, this is what we got to do. I want them to be prepared. Hey, in this event, this is what we need. In this event, this is what we need. And we have an idea from the regular season where where we stand. And I just ask them, hey, if if we just go do what we've done all season, there's nobody can beat us. 
if we don't, we can be beat. And we go through event by event, and everybody knows what their job is. And, you know, I tell them, don't stress about it, but you need to be aware that, you know, this is Division One athletics, and there are expectations, and there are expectations for our program. We have a history of excellence and winning championships, and we're going to continue to do that, and this is what it takes to do that. That seems to be a good formula for us. Seems to be. There were some great moments in this particular meet in Birmingham, and one that got a lot of attention on social media, and deservingly so, was the comeback in the women's 5,000 meters. And you know, I, I don't know how many times I watched this. I, I rewatched this several times, but Pauline Meyer, a first-team all-conference selection, well, she won the mile the following day, set yeah. a conference record in that, which – is a very big deal, but the day before the 5,000 meters, just an amazing come-from-behind win. I'm sure you've watched a lot of races with your athletes over the years. That one's got to be one you're not going to be forgetting. That was as unlikely an event. We'll say that it looked great on video, but that was not what she was supposed to do. <laughs> and, 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 Did she kick a little late? <laughs> with about three or four laps to go, you know, she made a mistake. She let the girl from, I think it was from James Madison, get out too far ahead of her. And I don't think she expected that. And then, you know, we're looking at two laps to go, and she's easing up on her a little bit, but that gap is still the same. And she'd be the first to admit that, and, and Coach Duvall will too. That's not what he told her to do. That's not how we were, were going to race. But uh, I think she made the determination, all right, well, I got myself into this. I better, you know, I'm not losing this. And she just turned it on, and that was uh, – the girl was 60 meters ahead of her mm. with maybe 600 meters to go, maybe 400 meters – well, no, probably less than that. And, you know, to make up that amount of ground in that short a time – it was certainly exciting to watch, and I don't think I've ever seen somebody come back from that far in that particular race and run as fast as she did at the end. But then you know if she's running that fast at the end, she probably held back a little bit where she shouldn't have. But, uh, you know, as coaches, we kind of look at that a little different than maybe, yeah. maybe a, the, I'm the sure. fans do. But, you know, that would be kind of like uh, as the fourth quarter, there's 30 seconds left, you're on the 45-yard line, all you got to do is kick a field goal and you'll tie the game. And the placeholder fumbles the snap mm -hmm. and then picks it up and makes an awesome play and makes everybody miss and runs 45 yards for a touchdown. Well, yeah, it'd be great. Yeah, but that's wasn't what was supposed to happen. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, that being said, it was a great effort. And, you know, you can't take that effort away. And it was, it was something that, that shows her, you know, grit and talent uh, that she was able to do that. She's just being dramatic, Coach. Yeah, I, yeah. She got a lot more views on social media that way. <laughs> yeah, I, I, she'll be. She'll tell you that wasn't on purpose, but uh, I think she'll agree with me. But but uh, that was certainly exciting to watch, for sure. Out of twenty eight years of coaching, maybe I don't think I've ever seen a comeback from that far back. But so uh, that you know, the fact that she got the win and was able to do that, that was great. But another female athlete I, I wanted to bring up here, and she was named Field Performer of the Year here in the last couple of weeks, is Cameron Newton Smith, and. She was in on this podcast here in the last couple of months and really, really enjoyed visiting with her. Just a fantastic young lady and obviously extremely driven. But I told you even before we started recording, was just heartbroken for Cameron over this past weekend. She had finally 
gone to Albuquerque and was able to compete at nationals in the indoors. And this was something that she wasn't able to do in 2020 because of COVID. She was just minutes away from competing. That was taken away from her. She got injured in 2021, wasn't able to compete at nationals that year. And she got emotional when she sat where you're sitting a couple of months ago, just talking about finally she thought she had the opportunity to compete in the pentathlon at nationals and she gets a couple of events in and and gets injured the other day and i know that had to be hard for her yeah yeah that's hard for her she's had a rough time with that indoor championship and you know we were hoping that that she'd be able to make it through she actually had a slight injury to that ankle i I can't exactly you know like we were talking earlier i can't exactly remember if it was in practice or at a meet but it was during the high jump and just, you know, jammed her ankle one day. And I'm not going to diagnose injury. I, I, you know, it was not a lateral movement or, or a tendon popped or anything. Probably more likely a bone bruise and, and just some swelling, soft tissue swelling. But that's painful. And uh, so, you know, Coach Vining had her stay off of any jumping in practice. And it doesn't bother her sprinting or hurdling or anything like that. And uh, felt pretty good. Ran a personal best in, in the uh, – 60-meter hurdles, first event. Second event, the high jump. She was looking good. It wasn't hurting too bad. Got through about 1 meter 78, which is about 5'10", and then she was taking being the competitor she is, and I understand that. If you look back, well, we probably should have stopped there. But, you know, this is the national championship. She wanted to compete for that title. And so the bar went up to, you know, roughly 181, which is roughly 6 feet, 5'11 and a half, something like that, uh, which she has jumped before. Mm-hmm. and the previous jump didn't hurt her at all, and it was just one of those times where she just reached that foot out a little too far, and the impact just jammed it in there again and re-aggravated it. You always have to look at the health of the athlete, and I know that was hard for her and uh, hard for everybody involved to make that call. She went over to see the doctor, and they, they just advised that, you know, hey, you know, there's probably nothing structurally wrong, but if you go on, there could be. And she still got an outdoor season. We didn't want to risk that. And and performance-wise, she just couldn't push off of that foot even when she was throwing the shot. And so the next event was a long jump. Uh, we had talked about jumping off the other foot. But Coach Vining and, you know, we talked. And, and of course, Cameron agreed that I reluctantly, you know, obviously she didn't want to quit. But she understood that, you know, hey, it's I, I just can't do what I need to be doing. And so we had to withdraw, which is, you know, disappointments happen in athletics. And part of the reason athletics is so important is you learn those lessons throughout the year, every year at a faster rate probably than you do anything else. And, you know, you learn how to handle disappointments. You learn how to handle successes. Anytime you're, you're, you're competing at a high level and you compete long enough at a high level, there's going to be setbacks that happen. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel for her because all of it was beyond her control. You know, two were due to injury and one was due to the pandemic. And we get to this one and she's leading the nation going in and obviously very disappointed. We're disappointed for her. Obviously not disappointing in her yeah, because she gave 100% and she always does. And she'll be back. She'll, she'll bounce back. We've got outdoor season. She'll be ready. Hey, before we get out of here, you mentioned – 
so along the way, different times about your staff. You mentioned Matt Kraft and Matt Vining with you from the get-go. You mentioned Jesse Duvall, who was sort of was kind of the cherry on top of this thing. Is that like when he came in and, and what you guys have done to get in, in the distance and cross country is just made it now at that championship level too. That's awesome. And then the other thing you got—it's kind of where it just sort of keeps feeding itself—is you've brought all you've brought all these athletes in, who you 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 find you guys continue to keep developing, and they want to compete beyond college. So there's a lot of instances where your athletes have finished their career, they want to keep training, so they kind of they come back and they're still around your program, yeah. both working on their own craft, but also then getting to help your current athletes. So it kind of just keeps feeding itself. Yeah, and, and, you know, that's the way it was when I was on the team here. That goes into the culture of the program. If you if you have athletes that – and we've had several that have – you know, Sharika's come back and trained with them, and, and you know, she, she's gone – bounced around a little bit. But, uh, you know, athletes that, that continue to stay here, we've got three or four on campus now. You know, Michael Carr, Seth Waters, a couple others that are able to do it post-collegiately, make a little bit of money – you know, you don't make NFL or, or, or MLB money, you know, in, in track and field, but you can make a decent living if, if you're good enough. That's satisfying, too, the fact that, that those kids stay in touch and want to want to stay around yeah. and stay connected. And that helps in recruiting. That helps with the kids on the team. They, they see somebody who's able to do it at the national level or international level out there with them, being around the program. They can talk to those guys. Uh, you know, they know that, and, you know, they can mentor kids and say, hey, this is what it takes to get to where I am. And you can do that, too, if, if you do this. They see that example. You know, of course, you know, the primary reason you, 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 you compete in college athletics is to get that degree because very few are able to do it and make money. But you also want to have the kind of program where there's a few athletes that are able to do that. And it's helpful to have, have those guys stick around. It is. It's just kind of a, a cherry on top for our program to, to have that aspect of it, too. Outdoor season begins next week. I know you're going to Starkville to compete in the Al Schmidt Bulldog Relays. What's this transition period like from indoor to outdoor season? Well, um, we go back to the basics. We Volume goes back up. Practice is not very fun. Um, <laughs> it's fun for me because I don't have to be out there running those repeat 200s and 300s and things. And, and But uh, – that work has to be done. You know, after you come off of a championship indoor, you know, we've backed off. You've, you've got to go back to the basics and get, get ready to reload for the next season. You know, once we get into April, then, then training kind of starts to shift back again. But right now we're working hard in the weight room. We're working hard on the track and, and, and the hills and pulling sleds and all the stuff that, that is not glamorous, but that's the kind of stuff that makes you good. So, and, and, I tell our kids there's a difference between enjoying the experience and it being fun. You know, fun fun is hey, you know, water skiing is fun, but working hard to become a champion that that's enjoyable. There's a difference in those two, and sometimes the you you have to work hard and it's not fun, but it should always be enjoyable the process. So. Coach, this has been enjoyable having you in today. Good and luck fun. in the outdoor season and fun. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've enjoyed it and had fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's Dr. Jim Patchell joining us here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. We've got more to come right after this. When we play today, we win something bigger than ribbons or trophies. We win our tomorrows. Wherever we play, 
Wherever we fight, wherever we overcome odds, we're winning our way. Simmons Bank is committed to supporting women athletes in the communities we serve and are proud to be an official sponsor of A-State Women's Athletics. Not just for a season, but for a winning future. Seasons are short, but fierce is forever. Simmons Bank, member FDIC. Well, it's that time of year where it's the middle of March, baseball season. It's hard to just play the schedule as is. I don't think anybody in the country gets to do that. But we had more weather issues than normal this past week. Uh, And we saw it was coming in for the weekend with, with baseball. So... The initial plan was to play Friday at 5, Saturday at 10 a.m. to try to beat the rain that was coming Saturday afternoon and then play Monday. And it worked out because we were playing Eastern Illinois and they were going down to Pine Bluff anyway to play Tuesday and Wednesday against UAPB. Well, things didn't go as planned. We got the game in Friday night. Then Saturday started at 10 a.m. The rain came sooner than anticipated. And then you're not able to finish that second game until over 48 hours later on Monday afternoon. And then game three gets canceled altogether. This was as unique of a weekend weather-wise as I can remember. Like I said, you thought it was going to work out uh, in a very tidy fashion because of Eastern Illinois' schedule and they had a good plan in place. But you know that the the rain started sooner than they had hoped it would Saturday. started three outs too early. (laughs) That's <laughs> about, it's about how much, that's about how soon the, too soon the rain got there. Because uh, technically, if it had gone that route, you had, had you know, gotten three more defensive outs, leading three to one, it could have been an official game. And, and I understand, too, like, I understand Eastern Illinois' situation by the time you got to Monday of not wanting to finish at least five innings of a game, play another seven-inning game, they got a game Tuesday, they got a game Wednesday, and they got a weekend series starting Friday. That's an awful lot of pitching to try to work your way through. So I understand their situation. Uh, so end up getting you know two of the three games in after a 50-hour and 58-minute rain delay. <laughs> so we ended up playing two games over a four-day span with Eastern Illinois. Lost the game Friday, 11-8. to Actually led that game 6-5 to after four innings. Tyler Jeans with a career-high nine strikeouts through those five innings. But he leaves after five, and then Eastern Illinois scores four times in the sixth. They were up 11-6 to in the bottom of the ninth. We actually scored a couple of times in the ninth, had the tying run at the plate, but uh, Eastern Illinois able to hang on in that one. You get to Saturday, and yeah. It's like even though the the two pitchers, the two starting pitchers, were kind of going about it different ways, you you had a pitchers duel sort of brewing. Uh, our guy was doing it by stranding base runners, you know, being around mm-hmm. the plate, getting guys on, but not letting them make hard enough contact to score runs. Their guy was just kind of mo- carving people up, and you know, it's it's one one for a long time, and then jump up three one with a home run, and like I said, needing three more outs for it to be an official game. And, yeah, Cody Darcy with the two-run home run in the bottom of the fourth put the Red Wolves on top, 3-1. to one. In fact, Cody had driven in all three runs on Saturday, those first four innings. But, uh, again, the rain delay hit, you said, over, what, 50 hours, 58 minutes later. So, yeah. We finally resumed Monday at 3. And, yeah, it, it's still a 3-1 game going into the seventh inning. 
And Eastern Illinois ends up scoring five times in the seventh. Three of those runs were unearned. You know, really, defense hasn't been a big nope. issue here lately. I think that was the first error in, in four games that A-State had committed. But it was a big one that uh, led to Eastern Illinois taking the lead. Now, the Red Wolves, to their credit, scored twice in the seventh. They scored once in the ninth. Actually had the winning run in scoring position. And Jake Henry Williams actually came up. Pinch hit. His only at-bat of the series came with two outs in the bottom of the ninth. He hit that ball sure did. really well. But uh, unfortunately, Eastern Illinois able to make the catch in, in uh, deep right center field and went to extra innings and just nothing went well in the 10th inning. Kevin Wiseman, who had missed the last handful of games, was uh, cleared the pitch. And he, he's got uh, – uh, a little bit of a nerve issue in his pitching hand, and after one batter, he had to exit the ball game due to some discomfort. And then Eastern Illinois just able to take advantage. They score six times in the twelve, or excuse me, in the tenth, and win it twelve to six. You know, I, I'll talk in kind of broad strokes as opposed to anything specifically about that game necessarily. But I mean, I would sit here, and, and I know you know you and I both will get a fair share of grief sometimes about being too positive. We've talked about that a lot. But I can sit here in confidence and with a straight face tell you that I think this A-State baseball team is better offensively. I think it's better defensively. And overall, I think it's better from a pitching standpoint. I think all three phases, this team has improved from what it has been. But then all of a sudden, there are uh, what can only be described as relapses into some, yeah. some bad habits. And you know there have been a couple of those. Now, there's been a couple of times of late where those kind of old habits have popped up and the teams responded. We mentioned last week the game he won against Middle or against Missouri State. Teams the past couple of years probably wouldn't have won that game. We mentioned the, the five run inning with three of them being unearned in the seventh inning and then bouncing back and getting two of those runs back and immediately kind of getting a little momentum back and getting within a run. Those are all good things, but we just still see that like walking guys becomes contagious. And, you know, you look down, you're going to see 11 walks in that game. Well, that's true enough. But really, it, that doesn't tell the story because 10 of those 11 walks were just from the resumption on, which means 10 walks in six innings. Yeah. The four HBPs is a funny, st interesting story in same its guy. own right because it was the same guy got hit four <laughs> times. <laughs> yeah, you had looked it up What the national record is five, five right? Yeah. By the time Saturday, by the time he'd already been hit three times, when he was zero for zero with an RBI and three HBPs, I'd already Googled the record. And then he came back and his first at bat, he's like, well, the heck with this. He swung at the first pitch he saw and, you know, hit a ball pretty well that cross jumper chased down right. in left field. And then he got hit. And then the he got time. hit again. And so by late in the game, I'm like counting at one point, even selling the broadcast. Well, the real story here is Eastern Illinois needs two more base runners to get this guy another at bat. <laughs> over these next two innings to give him another a crack at the record again uh, eastern illinois takes the two games that uh, ended up being played in that series as game three was canceled spring practice uh, for football in full swing we'll talk about that when we come back to wrap things up here on the second to none podcast presented by simmons bank your first home is like this dream the day you walk in the sun seems to shine more brightly the ceilings they just seem taller. And you'll never fix that creaky floorboard because it sounds like comfort. 
what a hug would sound like if it made a sound. And that's when you realize you're home. Really, really home. Realize your dream with a home loan from Simmons Bank. Dreams realized. SimmonsBank.com. Member FDIC, equal housing lender, subject to credit approval. A-State football already several practices in to spring workouts. And by all accounts, things are going smoothly on the field. But off the field, Butch Jones has been busy as well, bringing in some new staff, new tight ends coach hired last week. And Nick Grimes, now that a familiar last name, he's the son of former A-State offensive line coach, J.B. Grimes, who was here with Coach Malzahn back in 2012. Also, Trip Carrico has come in as the new assistant athletic director for player personnel, and this is a very important role. Yep. We saw our friend Matt Wilson do a really good job. He was a key part of those back-to-back number one recruiting classes. Did I say classes? Is that what I said? <laughs> the classes, <laughs> yes. Those top-ranked classes. <laughs> so, uh, Matt Wilson <laughs> – is gone now, but uh, you know, Trip Carrico's come in, and this is a guy that Coach Jones is familiar with. He was at Alabama for three years with Coach Jones, and most recently at East Carolina. So important to have a guy that uh, has been in that scouting role at uh, another school, and he was the director of scouting at East Carolina, but you need somebody you can trust as well. Well, again, you don't have to really question how much coach Jones values and views that position. Then they go, remember when coach Jones got the job, a state hires Butch Jones and his first two moves are like, I'm hiring. He's bringing Matt Wilson and John Shalala with him. Yeah. We don't know what those guys are doing, but they're coming. And because he just wanted those guys to get here and start recruiting. And so he, you know, he places the utmost importance as a lot of coaches do on that job. And, I had a chance to meet and visit with Trip, and looking forward to seeing him keep the line moving. Because that really does start, you know, honestly, I mean, that starts with the head coach. And we've talked about it a lot and tried to examine it and study it. But this is a head coach that absolutely eats and breathes recruiting. No and doubt. So, you know, the person in that job has to do the same thing. One other hire to report a new special teams coordinator jake schoonover who did a really nice job last year uh, announced last week that he was headed to Ole miss to take that job and i want to say this too that wasn't the first offer there were several schools a handful of schools that had come after coach schoonover and if it was going to happen it was going to have to be the right fit for him so he took off to old miss and now josh conklin has come in and coach jones will tell you he's way overqualified for this job <laughs> a former head coach at wofford he's also the former defensive coordinator at pitt and he's come in to be the new special teams coordinator and also helping out with the safeties it was interesting uh it's like the reporting on this just gets wilder and wilder. So, like, you know, football scoop, who you can pretty much bank on a lot of times what you read there. They're talking about, well, look, it looks like uh, the Indianapolis Colts may hire Ole Miss a special teams guy. and Or Notre Dame, I think, may hire Ole Miss a special teams guy. I don't know where I got the Colts. But I think it was Notre Dame. And if they do, well, well it looks like if they do, then Lane Kiffin's going to turn around and hire Schoonover from Arkansas State. Uh, so it's already getting reported like 
two moves ahead. Mm. But they, even when they put it, even when they were writing that, what they put is the Arkansas State special team, teams job will be a very attractive one because of the reputation Butch Jones has and the importance he's placed on special teams in this head coaching career. He said, so this is going to be an attractive job. Well, sure enough, you know, it was. So it's no big surprise then for him to make a hire that he'll turn out to tell you somebody that's overqualified for it. And Coach Jones, uh, I loved what he said in his press conference last week. He said, special team starts with me. And he knows that's a reflection of him. And look, they were number two in the country overall as far as a special teams unit last year. And Coach Schoonover was a big part of that. Yep. But Coach Jones as well. So welcome to – yeah, so I mean the new staff members. Yeah, he he's he's going to have his third special teams guy in three seasons, but they've consistently been good on special teams. So that does start with the head coach. A State baseball opening up conference play this week. As we look ahead, the Red Wolves in Lafayette, always a fun environment to be in for baseball. They're top ten, top fifteen nationally in attendance. Players always get a kick out of making that trip. But uh, Friday at 6, Saturday at 2, Sunday at 1, the start times. I always look forward to the food. They bring me food in the booth while in Lafayette. And mm -hmm. it's really good. Comes straight from the Cajun Cooking Club. Sometimes I, I got to be careful, though, because I can't take more than one bite at a time. It's got a lot of kick to it. So they do take care of you when you're there. Yes. Bowling will be in Nashville uh, this weekend, they're at the Music City Classic. And tennis is at home. This will be the first home matches for uh, Herman Del Magro as head coach at A-State. They uh, host South Alabama Saturday at noon. By the way, saw last week, you know, he added his first his first signee, and it's the highest rated recruit in the history of the program. How about that? So just setting the bar high. <laughs> come out swinging, getting, a, you know, a young lady that played her career at Michigan State and had a year to play as a grad transfer, and uh, he knew her from, obviously, Big Ten circles. And so, yeah, this uh, I've enjoyed my chances to visit with him, and he certainly has hit the ground running. And one more note before we get out of here. The A-State women's golf team finishing fifth at the Spring Break Shootout. That event held in Dade City, Florida. Our buddy Olivia Schmidt, former guest of this podcast, finishing as the individual runner-up. She finished with a final score of even par. That's going to do it for us here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. I want to thank Dr. Jim Patchell for coming and joining us this week. Really enjoyed that visit. Thanks to Caleb Garner from A-State Sports Information for setting that up. For Brad, I'm Matt. Have a great week, everybody.